today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. If you believe in what Christ did for you on the cross, His perfect life, His sinless life as a substitution for us, He took the wrath of God, He took the judgment of God, He took the penalty that was intended for us. If you believe that, then you can have your sins forgiven. And in having your sins forgiven, then by putting your faith and trust, okay, I believe Jesus did that for me. I accept that. Something in my heart bears witness to this. I believe it by faith. I accept Jesus into my heart. Then you can go to heaven when you die because your sins are forgiven. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary's current message series is Answers to the Questions You Thought We Missed. There are many questions we can have about heaven and hell, but one of the biggest questions people often have is, how do I get into heaven? Today, Pastor Gary answers this question and many more regarding heaven and hell. Some questions may never be answered on this side of eternity, but the way to get into heaven is this. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin by living a perfect life and taking our place on the cross. By believing in what Christ did for you, your sins can be forgiven and you will go to heaven. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message, Heaven and hell. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Beautiful description of heaven. We only have an understanding of colors because we have three primary colors and out of that come all the rest on the color wheel. But what if there was one more color among primary colors that we don't even know? I mean, it opens up a vast array of additional colors. So I think it's just a spectacular uh, sight to behold. Uh, beautiful beyond description. I think John is doing the best he can there in Revelation 21 to capture the main parts of what it looks like as God reveals it to him. But I think it's beautiful beyond description. A couple of more good bullet points about heaven. It's a place of no mores. It's a place of no mores. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. Revelation 21.4. That's good news, isn't it? No more crying, no more pain, no more death. By the way, this, this answers the question that some of you might have about what does my loved one know in heaven concerning things on earth? I think little to nothing. Because I can't imagine someone in heaven can behold all of the terrible and grievous things that's going on on earth and not be grieved or mourning about that. So because there's no grief, there's no mourning, there's no pain, there's no crying, I think those things are just kept from them. 
there's a whole interesting discussion about quantum physics and being outside of time and space, which God is, and thus time might be an immaterial thing where it doesn't coincide with our existence on earth. That's a whole other discussion. So there may not be much for them to behold in terms of what would cause them mourning or grief anyway, because it's possible that when we die or when we're raptured, it's all this spontaneous thing that happens all at the same time, but for another discussion and for somebody much brighter than I on that. But it is also a place of reunion with loved ones and friends who knew Christ as Savior. This is a big question I often get. Well, I know my loved one in heaven who also knows Christ. Will we recognize each other? And we will. Here are the reasons. Matthew 8, 11, Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Well, how would you know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when you get to heaven except that they will be recognizable? Well, if they're recognizable, then that means everyone else is recognizable. Even Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples in his glorified body, was recognizable. Well, the Bible says that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We get a glorified body in the same way Jesus got a glorified body, and that means that he was recognizable. Thus, our glorified body will also be recognizable. It will bear the same resemblance and likeness that we have now. I don't know if that will cheer you up or depress you, but... But it'll be a nipped and tucked better version of you. (laughs) And it'll be a glorified body. And so you'll be recognizable and your loved ones will be recognizable as well. Also in Matthew 17, 3 and 4, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John. And behold, they recognize with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Well, Moses and Elijah were hundreds of years before Peter, James, and John. How did they recognize them except that it was revealed to them in some natural way where they knew who they were? And so thus will be recognized. And 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, After that, we who are still alive and are left, talking about the rapture, will be caught up together with them, with the saints, and to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. So if we're caught up together, all of a sudden, do we now not know each other? The rapture certainly indicates we go together, so we'll know together. And thus we will be known, and we also will recognize our loved ones. So that's a basic coverage of heaven and hell in terms of intention, location, and description. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to specifically go after some of the other questions that you had previously texted in. Do believers face judgment by God when they go to heaven? No. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The judgment you faced was already paid for on the cross. So as a Christian, you don't get up to heaven and now stand and face another judgment. And I I had that guilt trip laid on me as a kid. I remember somebody, some pastor, somebody saying, when you get to heaven, they're going to have like this jumbotron screen, and they're going to replay everything you've ever done in your life. What? I mean, if that won't get you saved, I don't know what will. But I, I don't see jumbotron verse in the Bible. And so, look, that, they're not going to replay those things. God forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's not now going to revisit them when we get to heaven. Uh, what becomes of earthly relationships once in heaven with your wife, husband, parents, or children? So Jesus says in Luke 20, 34 to 36, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be just like the angels. And he's specific about it. He says, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and we will not die, which means that relationships will be different. All I can say is that everything in heaven is going to be better then. It's just going to be different then. It'll be a better different. 
You, if you're married, you will not relate to your spouse the same way. Parents and children, look, we're all going to be brothers and sisters, and we are all the bride of Christ. And so all I can do when I put together the verses of Scripture is to come to this conclusion. We're going to be so raptured with who Christ is and being in the presence of the Lord that our relationships with one another will just be that much better. And that you won't be, you know, sitting around and, you know, oh, I want, where's my wife? Where's my... And for others, you're just going to be like, oh, good, I don't see, you know, but I uh, <laughs> hope that's not the case. But we're going to be all, all together as brothers and sisters. Uh, somebody said, my mom passed recently. Does God allow her to be our guardian angel? And the answer is no. We don't start out as angels and then come to earth. And when we die and go to heaven, we don't become angels. Angels are a, a different class of beings that God created before he created mankind. But people don't become angels. Someone says, do the people who did not accept Jesus in this life get another chance to go to heaven in a different judgment? The answer is no. You have one opportunity. That's this life that you've been given. How does someone during the Old Testament era go to heaven if Jesus wasn't sent until the New Testament era? That's a long answer. I would just direct you to the teaching library, Luke 16. Look up Luke 16. I did a teaching on Luke 16, and I go into detail about that. Basically, Old Testament saints were kept in paradise because they believed in God through the sacrifice of animals, but it wasn't sufficient to get them to heaven. Now, Jesus emptied paradise when he went there. Where did Jesus go during the three days that he had died? And his spirit went to the paradise side of hell where the saints, the Old Testament saints were. He emptied paradise, though, because Ephesians 4 tells us that he led the captives free in the train of his robe and then escorted them to heaven because now the fulfillment of Messiah had come and the blood of Christ had been shed on the cross. But there is no limbo, and uh, Old Testament saints have now been taken to heaven uh, where they previously only had temporary uh, provision for righteousness. Once Christ died, then they were able to put their trust in him because he appeared to them. But go to the teaching library, look up Luke 16. Uh, This is a sensitive question. Do young children go to heaven when they die? Some of you have lost, obviously, children. It's one of the most gut-wrenching things a person could possibly experience. And I don't say that from personal experience. I say that just from an outsider's view of watching the pain. But I've done funerals for little children and for babies. Here's the comfort for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the baby born, the first child born to David and Bathsheba died. And David wept over the death of that child. And then praying that that child would get well. It was sick, but it ended up dying. Then David got up, broke his fast, and he actually went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. It was a very uh, interesting response because he just basically, like, i got to run to the arms of the Lord during times like this. And some of you get that. Uh, But he said in 2 Samuel 12, 23, he said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. That is a huge theological statement there in 2 Samuel 12, 23, because what David was saying was, I will see my child again, but he can't come back here. So he spoke about the promise of heaven. God makes gracious provision for children and for those who don't have the capacity or ability 
to make a decision for Christ, God makes gracious provision for them. I could go a lot longer as, and to build the argument why from Scripture, from the overall message of Scripture is that God makes gracious provision for those who are too young. Now, what point is that age of accountability? I don't know. That's between a person and God. There's not a magic age for that. But at some point, someone is accountable themselves. But prior to that, when they can't make a decision, or maybe there's some mental disability, they're not ever able to make that decision. God makes gracious provision for them. And so take heart. You'll see your child again. And then, of course, this great question, do pets go to heaven when they die? (laughs) I'll be careful. I'll be careful. In Genesis, it talks about when the animal kingdom was created. It's interesting. From the plant kingdom, then God creates the animal kingdom. This is before man. And when God creates the animal kingdom, it says that he creates them as living Beings and the Hebrew word there is nefesh, and it actually is the word soul. He creates animals with a soul. Now, don't get too ahead of me on this, okay? A soul means that someone, one has the capacity to think and reason and have emotion. Human beings are also created with a soul, with nefesh, but we have one other aspect in the Hebrew. We have ruach, we have a spirit. The animal kingdom does not have a spirit. It is a higher level than the plant kingdom because... You know, your fern can't think, reason, or have emotion, but your dog can, and your cat. Uh, (laughs) Nasty emotion, but your cat can. And so I wish I could say that, you know, your pet would go to heaven, but I just, I can't say that on the basis of Scripture. They obviously have emotion. They also, they have, you know, feeling. They can think. They can reason. They have nefesh. They have a soul. I will say this, if it's any measure of hope for you whatsoever, that in the millennial kingdom, it does speak about animals. Isaiah talks about animals. And it does tell us in Revelation 19 that Jesus comes to earth on a white horse. So you horse lovers, yeah, you can, uh, horse is a horse, of course, of course. So perhaps there are animals, um, at least we know of a horse, but um, beyond that, I can't really say with a certain authority. What is purgatory? Purgatory is basically a Catholic doctrine that teaches that there's a holding tank. person dies, they go to like a holding tank, this place where they can be prayed out of, And hopefully, if God honors the prayers of the living, that their deceased who has gone to purgatory could be rescued from purgatory and taken to heaven. But I'm sorry, that's just not in the Bible. And again, when we look at the Bible as the final word of authority, we don't see purgatory mentioned in Scripture. I know where purgatory comes from. It's the Luke 16 story. It's the idea that this rich guy went to the place of torment and across the chasm was Lazarus, who was the righteous man in Abraham. And so it looks like there's a holding tank because prior to Christ's crucifixion on the cross, Old Testament saints did go to the place of paradise, which was one half of the side of hell. There was a torment place, and then there was paradise where the saints went. And so that got translated somehow into the idea of purgatory as a holding tank, but paradise is empty. Now, the torment side of hell is still occupied. That will, Revelation 20 tells us, eventually the present hell will be thrown into the lake of fire, but presently people are on the torment side of hell, but there is no such thing as purgatory. Uh, What determines whether you get sent to heaven or hell? The answer to that is whether or not one has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Look, the invitation to heaven is wide open to anyone. 
okay? The invitation to heaven is wide open to anyone, but the ability to get there is dependent on one way. Now, I know for some, this is where they take issue with Christianity. They're like, well, this is you narrow-minded, bigoted Christians because you only say there's one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All right? I settled years ago that I'm not flustered by the, the idea that there's one way because I came to the realization that I'm thankful God made a way. And so I don't stumble over that anymore. Now our objective is to get as many people to come to understand Jesus so that they can enter the one way to get to heaven because the entry is narrow in terms of one way Jesus, but the invitation is broad in terms of all people, right? Okay? Will we be able to remember our past mistakes in heaven? I hope not. <laughs> no, I, I don't believe so because I, I believe that God wipes away every tear and so you'll be crying over the things I know I would be uh, that you've done in the past. So the Lord's going to remove all those kind of things from our memory, no doubt. He forgets as far as the east is from the west. Why would he allow us to remember? How old will we be in heaven? That's always a great question. It's unknown, but here's the best guess. The ancient rabbis believed that the universal age is 30. When you look into Scripture, a priest became a priest at the age of 30. Jesus' ministry began at the age of 30. How old was Adam when he was fashioned? He wasn't a baby. The rabbis believe he was 30 years of age. The Bible doesn't say it's silent about it, but that seems to be a universal age. Even to this day, a strict Jew cannot, a man cannot read the book of Song of Solomon until he reaches the age of 30, because it's a little spicy. So it might be that we're all this universal age of 30. I don't think little toddlers who to heaven are stuck at four, and I don't think you're hobbling around at 85, right? That wouldn't, that wouldn't be a very fun heaven. So I think that we're this universal age 30. Again, this is kind of speculative, but it's kind of sewing together some ideas of Scripture. Now, to be the universal age of 30 is wonderful news for those of you who are presently over 30. For those of you who are like 17, bummer. But uh, <laughs> if hell is meant for Satan and the angels, but Satan is not there yet, then do people go there if they have rejected God? They do. The only reason why Satan is not there yet is because he has still been allowed to roam the earth. I know that sounds almost counterintuitive. Why doesn't God just bind him up and then there is no Satan? You know, part of what we have to understand theologically, even about the realization of the reality of heaven, is the reality of hell actually brings light to the reality of heaven. I hate mosquitoes. What purpose do they serve, you know? But in reality, if you kill all the mosquitoes, it upsets the ecological system. And that mosquitoes are necessary for the rest of the ecological system of the earth. Otherwise, then you throw even the good stuff out of whack. They say that we need all that stuff, even though it, it seems like it's unnecessary. You know, why should we have mosquitoes? So, you know, even the very thought of why hell at all if you remove hell from the equation, you upset the balance of theology. Because, again, it's like, it's like, how can we understand evil if there's not good? How can we understand good if there's not evil? How can we really appreciate and understand heaven if there is no hell? So all of this becomes a great theological discussion. Satan temporarily has been allowed to roam the earth, but when someone who rejects God dies now, uh, they don't roam the earth like he does. If they reject God, if they have not received Christ as their Savior, they will go to hell. I know that that sounds like a horrible thing, and I, I would only say that and emphasize it in order to motivate us to bring as many people into the kingdom with us. 
This is an interesting question. Do you believe King Solomon is in heaven? Now, here's why people ask that, because Solomon sunk at a very low place in his life, and then he even introduced, uh, not for the first time, but certainly to the height of it, idolatry and child sacrifice during the nation of Israel. I do think that Solomon is in heaven, and I think it's because of the way the book of Ecclesiastes ends, which we'll get. Can we go to heaven if you're not a Christian? No. And I know that, you know, the world likes to glamorize heaven as a place where everybody goes if you're a good person. But the Bible tells us otherwise. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that none of us in ourselves are good. This is where Christianity is different from all other world religions. All other world religions basically teach some aspect of striving to be a good person, and then that will gain you entrance into heaven or reincarnated or nirvana or some aspect of a better life. Christianity is the only world religion that says you can't earn your way there and none of us deserves our way there and none of us is good enough to get there. But there is one who was sent on our behalf because of that condition of our soul, not good enough, can't earn it, can't work our way there. And his name is Jesus, and by his sacrifice on the cross, when we trust in what Christ did, Christ satisfied the wrath of God. See, sin must be punished. If someone broke into your house and stole things from you, the thief was caught, was apprehended, hauled before a judge, and the judge did nothing, you would be rightfully angry because a righteous judge cannot allow Uh, something wrong to go unpunished. And so the truth is all of us have done something wrong. None of us is perfect. You can at least agree with me on that. Everybody understands that. Well, I'm not perfect, but I know. Well, don't add the but part. None of us is perfect, and that's what makes us sinners. Because we're sinners, our sin must be judged because God is a righteous judge. He can't allow sin to go unpunished. Otherwise, then he's not righteous. So he has to judge us. But what he determined to do was to offer his son Jesus as a sacrifice in our place. And what God determined to do, the Bible tells us, is I will put the punishment and the judgment intended for every single person. God says, I'm going to put that on my son Jesus. And if you will accept that and believe by faith that that's what I've done on behalf of mankind... For as many as believe me, to them that received me, I gave the right to become children of God. This is what God says to us in the Bible. If you believe in what Christ did for you on the cross, his perfect life, his sinless life, as a substitution for us, he took the wrath of God, he took the judgment of God, he took the penalty that was intended for us. If you believe that, then you can have your sins forgiven. And in having your sins forgiven, then by putting your faith and trust, okay, I believe Jesus did that for me. I accept that. Something in my heart bears witness to this. I believe it by faith. I accept Jesus into my heart. Then you can go to heaven when you die because your sins are forgiven. And the wrath intended, the judgment intended for you was placed on Jesus. You by faith accept that and believe that. Then you're able to go to heaven, not for your own merit, or you're, because you deserved it, or I deserved it, or we worked our way there. But because we put our trust in what Jesus did, and this is why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, because you can't improve upon that. It's what Christ did for us to purchase us from sin and death. And so heaven awaits us, friends, for putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thanks for being a part of Pastor Gary Hamrick's study on Cornerstone Connection. Would you like to learn more about our ministry? If so, please visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can read about Pastor Gary's heart for sharing the gospel message with the world, as well as listen to past messages he shared. We also have companion resources located under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are designed to accompany the message series you'll find in the audio library. And we hope they'll shed some new light on familiar passages of the Scripture. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. Pastor Gary serves as pastor of Cornerstone Chapel, and he'd love to shake your hand and hear your story of Jesus stepping into your life. Come by our services on Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. to hear from the Bible and spend time in prayer and worship. Or join us Wednesday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth time of Bible study. Find directions and more information about all that's available at Cornerstone Chapel at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you can't join us in person, we'd still love to include you in our virtual church family. Watch our services live through our stream. You'll find a link under the Teachings tab. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know